Greetings and salutations. You've successfully arrived at the bloody disgusting network. Coming up next is something indescribable, tantalizing, and mind-numbing. Enjoy. Smug. Confident. Secure because you are sane. Do you know what madness is or how it strikes? Have you seen the demon? Surge through the corridors of the crazed mind. Come with me into the tormented, haunted, half-lit night of the insane. This is my world. Let me lead you into it. The Terror from Scum of the Earth. Hey folks, Frank Bonacci here. I'm breaking protocol a little bit. Uh, you know, the old okie dokie, I'm Frank Bonacci, Scum of the Earth. Yeah, this is the first time I'm doing, interviewing two people at once, so I called in some backup. Called in my buddy and great comedian, Amanda Van Nostrand. Amanda, thanks for coming on today. Oh yes. my God, my pleasure. I'm so yeah. excited. Yeah. So you take the one on the left, I'll take the one on the right. <laughs> And, <laughs> and well, I'll go low if you stay high. That's perfect. You've recorded with us a bunch, but just the way things work out, like you've recorded a bunch of things for draft class. This is going to be the audience, our audience's first time hearing you. Wow. Because even though she's been with us for a long time, but it's just the way we, the scheduling. Right. We've never gotten to hear her yet. So let me introduce you to her. You're going to hear from her a lot from our stuff. And this is Amanda Van Nostrand. Thank you again. Thank you. I'm I'm really looking forward to it. Okay. See, this is why I write everything down because, like, I, off the cuff, dude. I totally get it. I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. I know. And now, on with the show. Okie dokie, folks. I'm Frank Bonacci, and I'm the scum of the earth. As I've mentioned before, I don't like leaving the house. There's people out there. Have you seen those things? Fucking awful. Also, since I got myself the diabetes, I can't even get drunk to get me through these social engagements. Isn't that tragic? Like, what am I supposed to do now? Go through this life fucking straight? I mean, my buddy Clyde was supposed to come through with some pills, but he didn't answer his phone. That's right. I'm calling you out. Clyde, answer your fucking phone. But a little ways back, I found myself at the New York Horror Film Festival. Producer of Terrifier 2, Michael Levy, was there for a screening of him and his brother's new short film. As he was the very first guest on what became this show and consequently gave me a little bit of credibility, I thought it'd be good to go, you know, kiss the ring. So like, you know, hey, doing? thank you, sir, you know, for what you've done for me and my family. <laughs> May your first child be a masculine child. <laughs> my daughter, she kept her on there. <laughs> no, but he's seriously, he's a good dude. So some reason I thought it was just going to be a bunch of short films programmed, which is great because then I could get home nice and early do a nice quick hug and poop in the bathroom while my wife lays disappointed in the bed once again. Ah, perfect night. So the Levy short ends, which was very good, by the way. It had Chips Cooney in it. Does anybody remember him? So what I think is the next short starts, and it took me about an hour to realize it wasn't a short. It was so engrossing that I lost all track of time. I was also really stoned. I, I should probably point that out. I mean, what am I supposed to do? Clyde, do you fucking call me back? The film was Candyland, and it was good. 
an incredibly blunt horror thriller set in a 90s truck stop and follows a group of young sex workers or lot lizards as a serial killer starts picking off their clientele. It takes some aesthetic cues from the grindhouse and sexploitation films of the 70s, but with way more nuance and empathy than those films usually had. Like stuff like truck stop women. No rig was too big for them to handle. Remember that? Exceptionally well done with an incredible top to bottom cast. I was floored by it. The film is now available for streaming on just about every platform, and it comes with my highest recommendation. And with that, I'm so excited to welcome all the way from the land of, oh, what a beautiful morning. That's the fucking joke I wrote for Oklahoma. What a piece of shit I turned out to be. Oklahoma, the film's producer, Mr. Jeremy M. Rosen, and writer-director, Mr. John Swab. Thank you so much for coming on, guys. That opening monologue was incredible. Man. Thank, yeah, that was, that, was, that was awesome. I do this every episode for some reason. Sorry. I was wiping away tears. I mean, your, your godfather shtick, I mean, you're killing me. So this is your fifth film together. Like, how did you guys, Matt Stone and Trey Parker, up? Jeremy's better at this than I am. Uh, so I'll let him. Uh... Oh, boy. Let's see. How many has it been? Is it only five? Uh, oh, yeah. That they know done. about. Yeah, yeah. Done, uh, I think a sixth and seventh since. <laughs> Who knows? I can't even keep track. But, uh, but oh, so glad you asked. Without getting too emotional or philosophical about it, it's it's quite the case of happenstance. I split time with Los Angeles, and uh, John happened to be out there with his parents and then fiance trying to sell what was his debut film called Let Me Make You a Martyr, also the sole film that he did prior to our partnership. So I was sitting outside... Oh, here you go. Here's a Godfather reference for you. I was just sitting outside my usual coffee shop, like Don Fanucci over there. <laughs> I'm like, hey, you want to wait your beak a little? <laughs> you know, so, so I, I sit out there every morning uh, with my little dog and looking at email and, uh, you know, dressed like a schwub. So a couple tables away from me was this guy, John, you know, very interesting looking cat. Like if you were to see John, you'd probably stop what you were doing because he's, head to toe in tattoos and he's got the bald head and you know especially as like a jewish guy you're like oh look at this fucking guy kind of <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> uh, um and he was sitting there with an older guy it turned out to be his father i didn't know that and as i recently joked around with his father brett if it hadn't been for him asking my dog's name that's the relevance of the dog we would have never met we were a couple tables away I was eavesdropping a bit. I heard something to do with film. Mm -hmm. I just put out a film at the time called Dog Eat Dog that I was so honored to produce for Paul Schrader. And so we got to talking. Long story short is I also split time with Vermont, where I am currently, hence the rustic motif you see behind me. I like uh, it. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> um, and um, so long story short, John and his fiance were living in upstate New York, which is relatively close to Vermont. I asked John to send me what he was working on. He sent me a screener for said, uh, let me make you a martyr, as well as what was an early draft of our first film together, Run With The Hunted. I was blown away being that Vermont and upstate New York relatively close. I said, next time I'm there, let's hang. And I said, I'm gonna produce everything you do and I'm gonna manage you. And I'm very much an all or nothing person. It can be a gift and a curse regarding my professional and personal relationships. <laughs> we hit the ground running. I mean, John and I, our friendship is the reason that we make these movies. We complement one another. We're alter egos. John's the obviously the creative juggernaut. I have this um, unique set of skills, you know, Liam Neeson style. <laughs> I'm, I'm a lawyer. I've been representing music talent a long time. And yeah, we were precisely what one another needed to, to launch this. Some have called it prolific. We're, we're in our own little world. We don't really know how we're perceived. 
but we keep cranking them out and we like to think they get better and we're very proud of them. And that's uh, the, the, the quickest I could make the story for you. Yeah. You guys have been since 2016. It's just like, it's just another film. And I was looking up, you have another film on the way out that uh, <laughs> I'll get to that later. We have, uh, we have two more. Yeah. We have, we uh, we're actually, we're uh, flying overseas tomorrow to world premiere um, little Dixie that we have with Dixie. Paramount. Uh, nice. Rotterdam. Yeah. That's uh, so Frank Grillo, John and I, we're like the three amigos and we roll all over the world premiering new films. And then we also shot um, One Day as a Lion for Lionsgate over the summer. That's coming out this spring. We're about to finalize the release in probably April. And we're about to shoot another one in March. So, yeah. Holy cow, you guys are moving. That's fantastic. Also, can I say that, like, finding people that you can connect with on that level and, like, actually, actually get shit done is so rare. And partnerships of people that you actually like. Yeah, me and my friends are all like, (laughs) we should do something. Uh. <laughs> we should get together. We should start a business. Well, I've I've learned that it's like uh, if you get into business with friends, it, it ends up badly. But if you get into business with people with a business with a goal in mind, as two people trying to you know start a business together or just get into business together blind, like that's where the friendship and Jeremy and I with Jeremy and I came about. It wasn't like we didn't know each other at all, but we jumped in with you know kind of blind faith in each other, and through experience, have forged a bond that uh, you know rivals that of any I have in life. You know, so you know it wasn't we weren't friends before. Otherwise, I don't you know in my experience that never tends to work. So yeah, it's it's like you know it's like war going in production. So it's yeah. you really form like tight bonds. You even if it's like people you haven't seen in a long time, it's just like hey, remember that shit we were in? Like you always have that bond. Right. I I can't say enough about that. I mean, John tends to be, well, not always, but I think uh, more often than not, he's a little more composed than I am when we're uh, we're at the brink. But John is certainly (laughs) in some moments where, you know, I didn't really know what life was going to be like moving forward. Uh, uh, (laughs) The triage of production, just staring into the abyss in some random hotel in Montana or Oklahoma or New York and and I'm like, I, I, I'm an, I'm an unhappy person. <laughs> and, uh, we, we, we forge ahead, and ultimately, we, we, we have some laughs, and we have a good meal, and we poke fun at ourselves and everyone else, and and all is right in the world. Yeah. I just want to ask John one question: How long have you been sort of like grinding before you and Jeremy connected? That's kind of a loaded uh, answer. I mean, I've been grinding. It's something, mm-hmm. uh, whether it was a crack pipe or a computer trying to write a script for a long time. So it just kind of all bleeds into one, you know, but I feel like before right. I met Jeremy, it was uh, probably about 10 years of of mm-hmm. knowing that mm-hmm. this is what I wanted to do, you know? Yeah. Now, you guys shot this in Montana. How did you find that location and why Montana? How do you crew up there? How do you find anything there? It seems like very remote where you guys were shooting. I'll, I'll do the macro and then uh, and then tag team it off to John for the micro. Macro, um, as you mentioned, we, I mean, John's from Tulsa, Oklahoma, and I am not embellishing for comedic value to tell you that as the prototypical New York and LA guy, right? I didn't even know where Oklahoma was located. Honestly, no shit. I, uh, um, prior to going to Tulsa for the first time in 2016, I knew it was somewhere, you know, Bible Belt, something Midwest, South, something in there. The middle and, uh, somewhere. Yeah. And, and the relevance here is, and now of course it's like another home to me. I mean, um, 
you know, so many people in my life, John, first and foremost, are Tulsans and, and Okies, as they call folks from Oklahoma. <laughs> so John and I have done everything in Oklahoma with the sole exception of Candyland in Montana. And, and the reason being, and I say this with the utmost admiration and respect, but the, the Scorseses and Stallones of the world happened upon Oklahoma, which is amazing mm -hmm. for the state, but not amazing for us. <laughs> um, because they're tax, they're using up all the tax credit. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head. So, so the we're currently operating under the 2021 Filmed in Oklahoma Act, and the resources are very limited and modest compared to far more established film states like Georgia, New Mexico, Ohio, etc. Yeah, that particular year when we shot Candyland, I say that year like it's so long ago, 2021. That fiscal year, Killers of the Flower Moon, which may or may not be coming out via Apple this year to the tune of over $200 million budget, sucked all the air out of the room, right? It's a zero-sum game. So so there wasn't any rebate left for us with respect to mm -hmm. Candyland, which is such an important component of a, of a film finance plan, especially for the smaller indies that where John and I live. So yeah. I had recently met the film commissioner in Oklahoma, uh, Allison Whitmer. And uh, I remember John and I were in New York finishing post on, uh, what was it, Ida Red, I think, John? Mm -hmm. And I and once we got word that we were rejected in Oklahoma, or, or shall I say, weren't pre-qualified for the rebate, I just I mean, John and I were at some, you know, Indian fusion place downtown in New York, and I I said, all right, you know, fuck it, I'm calling Allison. So I call I go, Allison, what's happening in Montana? She goes, what do you mean? I go, you got room in the budget for us? She goes, oh yeah, come on up. So we did. I mean, that's how kind of cowboy style. John and I, when we finished post, we got in the car and we went to Montana. And to, and to your question and point, um, then I'll toss it off to John. It, you know, we brought in our, our few ringers, the, our couple department heads that we have wherever we are. And then we had to crew up locally. And then it was serendipitous. We found some great G&E or grip and electric folks in Montana who are kind of the go-to folks for all Montana productions. We were a bigger fish in a smaller pond which we used to be in Oklahoma, but words out. Uh, anyways, now I'll toss it up to John regarding the actual Candyland locations once we set up shop in Montana. Yeah, I mean, you know, for this kind of film, the whole, the location is as much of a character as any of the human beings in, in the film. So, you know, I had written it specifically for a truck stop in Oklahoma that I'm familiar with that has active lot lizards and lots of this activity going on. So when we had to pivot up to Montana, it was kind of like, oh shit, now we got to go find our main character. So we were up there for a good like six weeks before we started shooting and i rented a car and i literally covered the whole western part of the state looking for this truck stop couldn't find it i went for like a drive to livingston one day and i took a back road and i took a turn around this bin and i saw this you know this truck stop and casino sitting amongst the immigrant pinks there and i was like holy shit this is candyland and you know i walked inside and i talked to the owner and they were sweet as pie and they charged us nothing to shoot there you know it was it was it was pretty amazing to find that and once i found it i knew we were where we were supposed to be because i'm i'm so proud of that location so it, it's a it's amazing that whole the, is great. yeah i love the location of that film i love when you go to those like states that aren't used to productions because new york and la everybody's so jaded it's right. just like how much are you gonna give me in those places right. like you want to shoot a motion picture here and they're right. so happy to have you there <laughs> right and it's because right. it's so exotic for them right <laughs> you know in oklahoma though frank it's uh it's kind of the pre-killers of the flower moon and tulsa king and post so it used to be, uh, you know, oh, shucks, you know, they all come on in type of thing. And now they're like, uh, talk to my agent. Like, what? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Is Stallone in it? Mm -hmm. 
yeah. we're not interested. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, the, the bathroom stuff we shot in the, uh, in Candyland, you know, we, we dressed this great bathroom and, and the bathroom at the truck stop is very small. So we actually shot it at a VFW hall and we told him it was a Christian film and you know, it was going to be, it was going to be great. Technically. And, and uh, yeah. you know, mean, meanwhile, there's like, you know, naked chicks in there and like big hairy pussy on the mirror. And the woman came in halfway through the shoot and was like, what the fuck is going on? Don't worry. They so, find Jesus. It's about salvation. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's about salvation. Uh, <laughs> and, and directly related, speaking of um, Montana and the tax credit, we were privileged to, uh, to have up there. There's actually a clause there where once the Montana Film Commission sees the film, and if there are any morality issues, they have the right to claw back some or all of that credit. So, you, you know, probably, probably edit that part out. <laughs> yeah, yeah I'll, I'll cut that. Yeah. <laughs> you don't need to. I also cheat on my taxes. No, we don't need that. And uh... <laughs> Thank you, uh, Alan Weisselberg. Yeah. I get paid only in cash. Perfect. I was driving the other night and I hit a kid. <laughs> at the screening during the Q&A Olivia Lucardi said and maybe I heard this wrong the production was only two weeks or was I hear that wrong it was 14 she was still, days 14 that's, days that's tight dude yeah you know but I mean not really I mean it is but at the same time we had four locations yeah you can only shoot a motel room so many different ways Right. And it mm. kind of the same way for a truck stop, you know, like you kind of you get into these confined spaces and it's a lot of fun, actually, because you're not wasting time with company moves or relighting things, but you are having to figure out how to shoot things in a different way. So it doesn't all look the same. So it's kind of in a weird way. That movie for me was like like a master's program in film, you know, because you're kind of you have no money. You basically have, you know, a bunch of high schoolers on your crew. And then you've got like, you know, uh, you know, these four <laughs> locations. It was really like Jeremy and I putting to the test all the things we had learned on our past, you know, three, two movies at that point and seeing what we really knew. And, uh, you know, lo and behold, I mean, we're as proud of this as any and, and it's been received better than any of our films. So, you know, has it, has it really? It's fantastic. Yeah, I think I, I mean, it definitely has critically. It, it's like, you know, Jeremy and I, I, we both get up very early and there was some like Google alert with the New York Times. And I, I literally almost shit my pants because like, oh, my God, they, <laughs> they saw the movie and they're going to like tear us apart. And I clicked on it and it was great, you know, and it, I couldn't believe it. Everybody else kind of followed suit in terms of, you know, the, the, uh, what do they call them? The, uh, verified critics or the the top critics or whatever certified fresh yeah, or whatever whatever i mean i don't fuck know all those people you <laughs> <Yes>. know <laughs> thank you but go fuck yourself yeah yeah like, but but tell me you like me <laughs> but thank you so much for loving this small movie yeah i'd love to thank parasites <laughs> from the bottom of my heart yeah. it, it, the ultimate irony because this <clears throat> this self-funded uh, ultra low budget experimental slasher departure for us has been so well received right and as some people point out or interpret it's not a horror film per se right it's i weird. mean i i say horror yeah. film for like just to make it easier but i don't i don't feel it is so i guess it's, it's there's thriller elements but it's this really it's we kind of smuggled it in as a horror movie you know uh yeah. just to kind of get away with certain things and the exploitation vibe of it but yeah i mean it's 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 more than that you know it's 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 a you study know, of this subculture. Yeah, totally. Yeah. But to be so embraced by by the, for lack of a better moniker, the horror community, you know, throughout Europe and Australia and certainly here in the States, uh, 
unbelievable, right? And and we know on the one hand, right, they may be evaluating it based on traditional horror standards, but on the other hand, right, ultimately whatever puts you in the proverbial seat, right? Okay, we got your attention. Now enjoy these developed characters, and and there, yes, there may be some horror elements, but it's it's largely a drama, and and I think. One of the things we're most proud of is how it was deemed one of the few, if not the only, to really, what, how can I phrase this, to really personify sex workers. These are real people uh, with real lives, mm-hmm. stories, and relationships, as opposed to just uh, nudity and exploitation. So, and and that that's such a testament to John's writing and his his experience and research. And uh, these are all three-dimensional characters. Yeah, that's what I loved about it, that it takes tropes and, and aesthetic elements from sexploitation and exploitation films. That's like the bait to get you in. Really, it's like, it's like, gotcha. This is really about a study about people. Thank you. Why the 90s? I'm not complaining. I love the fact that it takes place in the 90s. There's just something about uh, nostalgia. I mean, for me, I wanted, kind of my mantra going into writing this was, I want to make an X-rated John Hughes movie. That was my goal. <laughs> and, and like, wow. And, and, you know, because it, I wanted it to be fun and like super upsetting and thrilling and kind of all of these things in one. But like, you know, the bond that these characters have. I mean, when you watch like The Breakfast Club, like, you know who all of these characters are. They're all three dimensional. You empathize with them all, but you're having fun. But none of them get naked, you know, and none of them get killed. And like, that's what I wanted when I watched The Breakfast Club. So I was like, okay, well, let's make that happen here. But, <laughs> Uh, you know, if Ali Sheedy went around and just started cutting everybody's dicks off, that would make it a better movie. How could you say it wouldn't be a better movie? <laughs> exactly. So, so I don't know. It just seemed like, you know, it, it was funny is when we got to Montana, I mean, there's like cars from the 70s driving around everywhere. It's kind of like going to Cuba in a way, you know, where like everything's <laughs> like stuck in the past. And like, yeah. And, and it's really bizarre. And like, so once I saw that, I was like, holy shit, we can actually make a period piece. You know, for this money, I mean, when you do stuff with the, with the resources we had and it's self-funded, like you kind of need to pack every punch you can. And I think dating this and going for it being a period piece, you know, just elevates the movie that much more. Absolutely. Um, you know, as well as with the music, like Jeremy and I love putting like specific music in our films. And when you do that, it kind of puts it in a box like, OK, so what came out in 1996? And Jeremy and I are going through it. And he's like. Porno for pyros. And it's Dude, like you son of a bitch. Yes, when you, you put know? pets at the beginning, I <laughs> yeah. jumped. I've been waiting for somebody to use that in a movie. I was like, so, holy shit, pets. Nobody ever uses this in anything. So I mean it, it, it <laughs> Don't really, dream uh, it's over though at the end. Well, was like, yeah, I mean fucking, it's I was with... cracking up, just like this is perfect. Right. Perfect. Great. Yeah, great choice of music across the board. So it wasn't baked in a period piece. It's just that you got to the location, you just saw well, the culture there, and it's like, hey, we could do this. I think, you know, initially I did write it as a period piece, but I, I didn't include any cell phones or anything like that. So naturally it just kind of dated itself. Right. Um, you know, also when you're going, when you know you're not going to have a lot of money, it's best to like isolate your characters as much as possible. So right. taking away cell phones, like, you know, furthers the isolation. But then mm-hmm. like, yeah, once we kind of were assim- like assessing the resources that were availed to us in Montana, it was like, holy shit, like we're just in the parking lot now and there's not a car here that's that's was made like after 2003. So like we could just back out that Ford and like now it's 1996. So it's kind of like, you know, process of elimination and, and just kind of assessing what we had. So I'm pretty sure in the original script, it was 96. 
And then once we got there and saw it was possible, it was like, holy shit, like this could be really cool if we went for it and, and tried to stick to it. So it was like a pie in the sky idea, the period, but, you know, correct. Scouting the period, correct motel as well. And interesting, right. the, the late day motel in a, a very remote area called Big Timber, Montana, their claim to fame. And that reminds me, I have to send them a poster, as I promised to do. Their claim to fame was that uh, the horse whisperer was shot in part there. Back in the day, with a, a very young Scarlett Johansson and Robert Redford, so oh, wow. we wow. were the first film from Horse Whisperer to Candyland, opposite end of the spectrum, to return decades later. And they had um, a portion of the motel was was lost in time and suited our 1996 purposes famously, whereas the rest had been had been renovated. So we limited our shoot to to the former to give credit where credit's due. And our picture car coordinator in Montana, who who amassed these amazing cars that we would and trucks that we were shuffling in and out of every scene. So, so it was all very self-contained and, and uh, authentic in that regard. But um, it, it was a perfect one, Montana. Serendipity at its finest. The cast is amazing. One of my favorite scenes, by the way, is the scene where Eden Brolin and Sam Corton, who you've worked with a bunch of times, were just talking about how they shave. Is that moment yeah. improv? I purposely tell our sound guy not to turn off lobs when we're you know in between takes and you know mm -hmm. that's kind of taboo but i like it because i can hear what the actors are talking about not because i need want to hear them say anything bad about me or whatever but like i can pull things from the things they're talking about so eden and sam were sitting outside on the bench and eden was talking about her strawberry legs and I came running out from the side and I was like, we're fucking saying that. And she was like, what? No. And I was like, Eden, it's it's honestly for me, it's kind of the last moment in the movie that we're like having real moments with these characters, like real honest mm -hmm. moments and these kind of get to know you things. But I feel like without, the movie without that moment is not the same movie. And it's something so kind of personal and real about that. It, for me, is kind of just the button, you know, on this kind of hangout, like, you know, drama piece of the film that that we're so proud of and that people were so taken by so no it was not scripted but i did hear it from the other side of the building on my on my context and i ran around and uh that that's from eden so yeah fantastic i love that's one yeah. of my favorite moments in the film that's why i brought it up yeah it was also great seeing gwen Tur uh, guinevere turner uh from uh go fish and the writer didn't she write did she write or is she just in uh, american psycho she uh, she wrote it uh, yeah, she, she also wrote notorious betty page and Betty page right that's right and uh I brought in Gwen because we're old friends and she she wrote a film that I produced called Charlie Says, um, my Manson film that's on Netflix. Oh. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, so, you know, we were, were old friends and and she actually grew up in a cult herself. She wrote a piece for The New Yorker about this called The wow. Lyman Cult in the Boston area. Yeah, I thought, you know, when John and I were thinking of that role in Nora, I said, oh man, Gwen would rock this. She had just such a perfect affectation for it. And she was so tickled at the idea of playing uh, the madam. And uh, yeah, she she rolled in from uh, New York to Montana last minute. I mean, so many, it was such a perfect storm. Again, I mean, our, our buddy Owen Campbell, who we did Body Brokers with, uh, I flew him in from New Zealand, right from the set of uh, of X to our thing. And it's, it's unbelievable just how it all came together. And uh, Brad Carter, who played Teo, we did run with the hunted with him. So 
I mean, as we've said time and time again, this really was was our, our friends and family. And when I say family, if you don't know, John and Sam are married. So oh, really? Wow. Yeah, we brought it all together. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh, you seem to use that actress a lot. <laughs> yeah, that, that opening scene, that opening scene in the truck, we rehearsed for days before. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, a funny thing about Owen Campbell, I was actually sitting right next to him and his girlfriend during the film and during the more explicit stuff, he was literally by uh, under his seat. I felt so bad. And I didn't realize, like, why is that guy sitting like all the way under the seat? And I realized who he was. And I was like, oh, shit. Sorry. Yeah. Owen, we love him. He's uh, he's got fragile sensibilities. You know, he's uh, <laughs> he's a born and bred New Yorker. And, and yeah, all the more ironic and interesting that he does things like Candyland and X. But but we love him. And, and we knew that he would knock this out of the park and he exceeded our expectations. He's an unbelievable actor. Owen he's is. amazing in the film. Yeah, really, really, really talented kid. All his stuff with Olivia. All of the performances. Oh, sorry. Go for it. Go, 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 go. No, I was just going to say all the performances were so genuine. And it was like really nice to see solid, solid, like commitment to text and, and relationships. It was it was awesome. Yeah, I don't have any questions about it. The film. I just love the film. and I just love the performance. Dude, Billy Baldwin. How did, no, how did you get him into the film? Because he is fantastic. Um, Jeremy's so, a big old, um, too old to die young fan. I got I got to say, I mean, you know. I'm not crazy about Copenhagen Cowboy, which I'm fresh off watching, but Too Old to Die Young, uh, that that NWR did for Amazon, so underrated. I don't think Amazon marketed it much, but it's badass. It's, you know, it's John Hawks, who's one of the best actors alive. It's Miles Teller, who's obviously having a great moment. And mm -hmm. Billy played this, you know, this perverted father of Miles Teller's girlfriend, played by John, who's a... That actress we tried to cast her, British actress, plays Miles oh, Teller's girlfriend. Nell, well, neither here. Nell Tiger there. Free. Yeah, great, great memory. Yeah, so Miles yeah. Teller and Nell Tiger Free. Uh, so Billy played Nell's father, and there are these really creepy scenes where he's, you know, he's in his private theater in his home, like masturbating and grunting and watching his daughter have sex with Miles. And you know, you're, I, I saw that. I'm like, oh my god, this is great. So we, uh, so we wanted someone exactly who could really embody just the very creepy Sheriff Rex. And that Trader film I did uh, called Doggy Dog, the star is Nick Cage. The only reason that's relevant is because Nick's manager is Billy's manager. So I hit him up. I'm like, yo, get me to Billy. And he did. And, uh, you know, he was down to take a major haircut, as everyone was, uh, a fee and budget-wise. So he came up and rocked it. And, man, it was a fun time. And he really went there. That was also a bit of a kind of a horror, what, uh, protocol, if you will, right? Where you've got maybe one notable or more recognizable, maybe older, more established name. Right. In conjunction with a with a younger ensemble. And it, it worked well for us. Yeah, it was amazing in the film. Of course, Olivia Lucardi is off the charts amazing. I was trying to chase her out of the theater to get an interview with her. It was funny. I, out of the theater, that, that motherfucker could move because I, I couldn't match her walk. <laughs> to match her walk speed, I have to run. And it's just some creepy guy with a mustache chasing a lady in a public place. And I just didn't want to be a part of that. I'll get her next time. <laughs> but she's amazing in the film she really is my, my wife's been sam's been telling me for years she's like you got to get this olivia Licardi girl and and it all just kind of lined up here and she 
really, really delivered. You know, we love Olivia and we're very grateful she came and she was kind of the one outsider of the group aside from Billy. Everybody else, Jeremy and I knew, and were, you know, either, you know, family with us or like, you know, we'd worked with multiple times. So, you know, for her to come in kind of blind and, and jump in and really go there meant a lot. And, um, you know, she, she makes the movie, honestly, you know, without that, it doesn't work. So. Yeah, she goes all in and I, she really committed to every moment of that film. And it was amazing to watch some amazing imagery in the film. The scene between I don't want to give too much away, but the scene when her and Owen are in bed together is one of the most it's like that's a poster that shot. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's one of those things I was watching. You know, we were watching in a, in a theater. I guess it was about a week and a half ago, Jeremy and I with some people in Oklahoma. And I, I remember I was watching that scene. And I was like, oh, I can't believe Oh, I came up with this. This is fucking twisted, man. Like, this is so <laughs> crazy. Like, you know, I just kind of couldn't believe that, like, how well it turned out, but, like, also just how fucking deranged that scene is. I mean, it's it's really twisted, and we, we stuck the landing. It was a group effort to stick that landing. And that was, you know, when you do something like that with the money we had, there's one shot. You got one shot at it, and that's it. And so that to work with what we were up against is is a group effort and you know i'm really proud of that moment because it's a it's a special moment and kind of an unforgettable moment in a movie i feel like yeah that's that's the i audibly reacted to that moment watching it last night i think my roommate was like oh my god because i was like oh no (laughs) i had i had the moment where i was like maybe maybe you know maybe the religion stuff isn't that important anymore and she's no okay i lied i lied she's going for it but it's it's like those things fused for her in that moment yeah yeah well that was what olivia and i talked about totally did I said, Olivia, I want this to be both spiritual and like it needs to be like you're meeting God in this moment somehow. Like you are touching fingers with God and in this kind of sacred moment. And she fucking must have understood what I was saying because uh, it really, really felt that way. And, you know, at the end when she gives him the little kiss and the camera hangs there and she kind of looks right down the barrel. I was like, man, this is this is pretty cool. Glad we, you know, Mm. we, we stuck the landing here. So. fantastic amazing that you got again such a short production schedule to get a moment that beautifully perfectly put together is incredible yeah i saw that mark ward when i was looking up information for this film passed away recently and he's a guy you've worked with a bunch who is unforgettable as the priest in the film yeah like, you know you'll see we have a film coming out next week that he has another part in it was his last part he was supposed to do a part in the scott con film he came on in Body Brokers. He's a local kind of legend around Oklahoma. He's been a door guy at the historic Canes Ballroom where the Sex Pistols played and everybody played in Tulsa. You know, he started as, as an overnight security guy for us. And then, you know, <laughs> we called him in on Body Brokers to be a John in a room. You know, his lines were all off camera, but they were so hysterical and unforgettable. We were like, all right, next movie, maybe we'll use him. And then when, you know, I wrote this script, I was like, I'm going to write something for Mark that like only Mark will do. And only Mark could do. It's it's funny because that's kind of the first moment in the movie that you're like, holy shit, there's nothing crazier. In the, there's no crazier imagery in this movie besides this scene. And then the next thing that kind of tops it is the scene we were just talking about. So I feel like 
his scene almost kind of gets overshadowed by that next scene and then the end bit. But he delivered as good of a performance as anybody in the film. And he's very special to Jeremy and I. And, you know, it was really sad that he passed. We also became executors of his estate. He had no family. So Jeremy and I showed up at his house after he had passed and nobody else claimed his body. So we assumed it while we were shooting this film and we had to uh, have him cremated, deal with his belongings and have a funeral all while we were shooting a movie. It's an amazing thing. Because just days before he passed, I mean, he was telling, he told Jeremy, you know, this that we made his dreams come true by giving him a part and, and making him, you know, a part of these films. So it was a very weird, bittersweet thing to be that involved in somebody's life and give them something and an opportunity that they longed for their whole entire life. And then also be tasked with uh, dealing with their remains. So, <laughs> so, like, uh, yeah, so it's, uh, you know, yes, Mark Ward, RIP, man. And uh, and he is a legend uh, in our camp. So it's great that you got to, to immortalize him in this and in your other films. Right, right. What are some of your influences? Kind of all over the place. Most a lot of real life stuff just people you meet on the street and talk to. And, you know, for this, you know, I met real lot lizards, real truckers that, you know, uh, paid them and had, you know, for service. And you meet people like that and you're like, holy shit, like this is crazier than any movie I've ever seen. And you kind of get to talk to those people and they're very inspiring. And I'm fascinated by people Um, in terms of film, crime films kind of is where, you know, I got my love for movies and eventually, you know, 70s crime films is really where I fell in love with movies. Like stuff like um, Friends of Eddie Coyle and stuff like oh, that. Oh, that's, yeah. I mean, that's like, you know, Peter Boyle in that film to it's me tremendous. is like, is like, there's nothing better, man. Um, yeah, like that. Uh, straight time. Times. Straight time. I've got the original one sheet, French one sheet in my in my house. Do you uh, really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, Gary Busey in that, Dustin Hoffman in that. I mean, tremendous. It's, that's, it's um, like those that the feeling in those movies is there's nothing like that now, you know? And, you know, when we set out to make this, Jeremy and I, luckily when we met each other, and I think one of the reasons we're such good friends is our taste, our, our sentiments, our humor is all very much aligned and, you know, people should be worried about that. But, uh, but, (laughs) but, uh, but, uh, you know, when we set out to make this movie, all of our movies, our intent is to hearken back to the feelings that we get when we watch those films. And we're proud that, you know, we feel like most of the times we, uh, we execute that. So not to go on too long. That's the stuff I love hearing about. It's just uh, that straight time's tremendous yeah we don't have any any bunkers in the world anymore yeah no did you know that michael mann actually uh was one of the writers on the straight time script and never got credited for it i no. yeah yeah it was something i heard him talk about in a podcast recently that's crazy yeah yeah and now a word from our sponsors Recordings and testimonies heard today are pertinent to the case of Annie Marie Singleton. Seclusion. My name is Vince LaRusso. I'm a detective with the Grafton, Vermont Police Department. Seclusion. Betsy, would you introduce yourself for our records? My name is Elizabeth Stewart. Seclusion. Is there anything in your conversation to suggest that your sister was in trouble? No, she sounded... This is harder than I thought it would be. Seclusion. Seclusion. Nobody you can think of from your past who'd wanted to disrupt her life in some way. I don't know. The internet is crazy, so I... Betsy. Seclusion. Seclusion. 
Is there any? Seclusion, seclusion. Conceivable reason to believe. Seclusion, seclusion. That Annie committed those murders. Seclusion, 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 seclusion. Seclusion. This episode is brought to you by the good folks at Far West Press and Maverick indie filmmaker Kansas Bowling. We go way back with Miss Bowling, don't we guys? Yes sir, as the time of this recording, about one week. First up, for those who hate writing letters, there's pre-written letters for your convenience, pre-written by Kansas, alongside her sister and frequent co-conspirator Parker Love Bowling. A series of increasingly specific and absurd letters that are meant to be cut out and sent to the people in your life. If you're like me, and I know I am, this book will tickle your funny bone and caress your aching knees. Next up is the companion book to Miss Bowling's upcoming film Cuddly Toys, the aptly named A Cuddly Toys Companion. All kidding aside, I was shown a screen of this film, and it is nothing short of a masterpiece. Oh, don't worry, folks. You're gonna hear a you're gonna hear a lot more about this film from me in the coming months. I was genuinely floored by it. This book follows the harrowing and often hilarious adventures Kansas and crew went on in making this soon-to-be classic. If you love film, filmmaking, and crazy behind-the-scenes stories, this book delivers all that in spades. And fret not, you needn't be familiar with Mrs. Bowling's ouvure. How do you say over? Am I saying over right? Over? Yeah. You don't need to be familiar with Miss Bowling's over <laughs> to enjoy this pair of books. You must simply be of unusually high intelligence and distractingly attractive, which is how I see our audience in my mind's eye. But now is your chance to prove it with action by heading on over to farwestpress.com and picking up pre-written <laughs> rubber baby buggy bumpers and picking up pre-written letters for your convenience and a cuddly toys companion. While you're out, check out kansas-bowling.com to see what goings-on she's up to lately. You'll be supporting our shows by supporting our new sponsors, Kansas Bowling and farwestpress.com. Thank you for listening, folks. I love you. I think I got it. So your next film is Little Dixie. It has Frank Grillo, who you've worked with a bunch. But it also has Eric Dane, who is my wife's... We've agreed that that's my wife's hall pass. But he also might be my hall pass because that man's fucking beautiful. But, well, uh, he, might, he, he might take both your old hall pass. I don't know. Eric's a pretty crazy guy. So, <laughs> so, so. Yeah. Well, I've had to. I'm, I'm married, so I've had to watch 18 seasons of, uh, of Grey's Anatomy. Uh, Grey's Anatomy. Uh, 18 seasons. That show's still fucking on. Oh, uh, don't I know it? McSteamy uh, to the hilt. Oh, yeah. McSteamy. Uh, <laughs> of course, now with the euphoria generation. Yeah. Um, Broke our hearts when he died. Uh, Eric and you know Frank is part of the family. We do everything with him, and Frank and, and Eric have the same manager. That's how that came about. This guy Bill, he was pitching me on Eric time and time again, and yeah, and it just it worked out so well. He's so gubernatorial in this next one. Yeah, Little Dixie, he's just born for that. He's he's so diplomatic, and his his delivery is so measured and polished. Yeah, he rocked it. So Frank and Annabeth Gish is fantastic. Uh, oh, she was in Charlie Says, like Guinevere and I did. And then, of course, our buddy Bo Knapp, who plays the boogeyman known as Cuco. Bo was in Ida Red with us. And I just seen him in so many things throughout the years, kind of nondescript roles. And I go, oh, this guy has something. And, and yeah, he's in our next one, too, that we're about to shoot. Um, it, it came together. And that's and we're grateful to Paramount for picking it up for the world. And and yeah, hopefully people will enjoy it because as John was mentioning some of his influences, it's it's a direct homage to all that. Hardcore, cruising, the getaway, thief, manhunter, heat. Charlie Varick? Oh, 
it's exactly there you go touche so um it's quite the departure mm-hmm. from Candyland, but it's it's very much in our wheelhouse. When can we expect that movie? That's February 3rd. Paramount releases it. Jesus Christ, you're just pumping them out. What did it take a break? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's feast or famine, so I'm glad you guys are getting a bunch of stuff out because I know how hard it could be, you know, trying to get one film out and you guys have a bunch and, and you guys are great. So I'm glad you guys are working. Yeah, uh, you know, it, it worked it worked out to be a one, two, three punch. Um, it was unintentional, right? I mean, Candyland, we we sat on for a bit for festival purposes. So we shot Candyland in spring of 2021. And then uh, we shot Little Dixie at the end of 2021. And then we shot One Day is a Lion this past summer uh, in June and July. So it just worked out that way where Lionsgate went crazy over One Day is a Lion. They're like, we got to get this thing out. It's the best. We go, oh, all right. So it's so that's right on the heels of Little Dixie, which is right on the heels of Candyland. So it comes across more impressive than it actually was. It just, you know, oh, you guys got three movies coming out this year and you're shooting another two. And it, we're punching above our weight class. So <laughs> I don't know. Keep swinging. Yeah, it, it looks good. like I'm looking at the cast list for Little Dixie right now. And I, it looked like so much fun. Yeah, my wife, you know how I found out Eric Dane. She's my wife just texted me. She's like, do you know who he's got next? Like I was telling her I was doing this. She's like, it's got Eric Dane. She's like, you got to ask him about that. You better ask him about that. I'm not going <laughs> to. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'll, listen, I'll tell you stories. I mean, uh, Eric, Frank, uh, Scott Connor had a great dinner at Craig's a few months ago. We had a blast. Uh, boy, if I had a recording of that dinner, oh, my God. We probably, none of us would ever work again. <laughs> but, uh, um, but we had a great time. Eric, here's one. He actually lives in one of Johnny Depp's properties. There, there's that. That's an interesting uh, tidbit. And uh, and so I've had a good hang over there as well. And we love the guy. <laughs> Also, Eric, he doesn't publicize much. He's a Jew as well. So uh, I love that. Uh, he's a <laughs> brother. He's uh, in the tribe, uh, Gossam. My wife's well, in the tribe. You know, <laughs> a, guy, a guy that good looking who's got all the ha- hall passes. I got to be the Jewish publicist. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have anything you'd like to ask? I guess my question, like when you're sitting on waiting for the festival circuit, like how how strategic are you with how you're submitting? How do you how do you even look? How do you even start? You know, I um, and this is all martyrdom aside, I undertake the festival efforts. I always have this romantic notion, maybe not anymore, but I have historically that the distributor, especially a major studio like a Paramount or Lionsgate or Universal, mm-hmm. will just kind of have some kind of uh, put or buy, whatever you want to call it. Like, oh, yeah, here's our new movie. So, of course, you're going to play at Venice or Berlin or Sundance. But, oh, no, it's. Honestly, as with a lot of things, casting and just in life, it's bird in hand, wherever the relationship lies. Mm-hmm. So wherever I've developed a rapport with the festival programmer, it's no uh, it's no coincidence that we world premiered Ida Red at Locarno in 2021. And we, then we world premiered Candyland at Locarno 2022. Might it have been better suited elsewhere? It's possible, but life's too short, right? So if we have someone who champions what we're doing within mm-hmm. reason, I'm not talking about like the... Uh, you know, the, the Hackensack Film Festival or something. I don't think that's a thing, but it's... Uh, it might group. be. It, it probably is. <laughs> well, I'll go on Film Freeway and check. Have you been on Film Freeway lately? Yeah. 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 Get the fuck out of here. We got individual neighborhoods having their own fucking film festivals. It's out of control. Seriously. But, but you know, with the caveat that it's, it's buttoned up enough, right, that it will provide somewhat of a reasonable platform for for uh, exposure and marketing and whatever you want to call it. And then Candyland just really took on a life of its own. I mean, I, I didn't expect for the horror programmers near and far to just go crazy. And the good credit or credits do our, our international sales agent on Candyland, VMI, um, they were instrumental in several of those foreign film festivals. 
other than Locarno, which we did, uh, and Grimfest, which we did, but Fright Fest uh, in London, that was great. They lined up. That's quite the tastemaker. Uh, and then the other ones, I mean, John and I have, uh, we haven't gotten into this yet, and I will probably wrap it up soon, but a lot of what we do is born out of spite and resentment, uh, as funny oh, as that. Oh, no, no. Now we're just place getting come started. From. Are you kidding me? Oh, yeah. This episode That's is the not best... going to be an hour and a half, because okay. this is the shit I want. Okay. That's so, where the best so, creativity yeah, comes yeah, we, from, is spite and resentment from Oh. There you go. So this this may not jive with media training or whatever, but here's the thing. I mean, festival programmers, we love those who embrace us. We love those who don't. But ultimately, we're not looking to them for validation. We'd be remiss if we didn't say that it can provide quite a platform for sales to distributors, for fans, for for journalists, etc. However, you know, John and I do what we love. And the fact is, I mean, Body Brokers was granted it was hard of COVID. So I think I don't think it's a fair example. But it, no one wanted it. No distributor, no financier, no no festival. And we love that movie. And it's such an expose that no one else knew anything about. And because of John's firsthand experience as an addict, I mean, that's how he was able to speak to it and do all this research mm-hmm. and firsthand. So um, my, my point being is that would have been a home run at a Sundance. Why did these festival programmers choose what they choose? I mean, this isn't a novel concept. There's a lot of politics involved. Sometimes it's theming involved. what they're trying to theme their festival this year as. Oh, yeah. It's, I mean, this is, not, again, this is not a revelation, but festivals are not a meritocracy, right? I mean, the best films no. you, you'll probably never see. The biggest talents will never right. play for the New York Yankees. You know, they just don't have access. So that's not lost on us, right? And we're grateful for what we have and what we do. But the day that we rely upon a festival premiere to somehow equate with success, uh, not at all. So if the timing and relationships are there, then great. Otherwise, Mm -hmm. you know, we have these distributors and we just rock it. Uh, So it's all kind of, it's all incidental, I think, the festival play. Um, Candyland, just as John mentioned earlier, somehow snowballed. And pun intended, because we tried to reintroduce hostess snowballs in Candyland. Um, I, I picked that up. Everyone loves a fucking snowball. No, they don't. That's oh, yeah. dis- they're disgusting. Yes, I don't they, care. They I'll do. fight everyone here. I don't give a shit. They're awful. But it's just they don't make Coconut, those anymore, do they? Marshmallow? Come on. They're, yeah. they're so soft. That's how I feel when I eat. Hey, I go there. I do this when it touches my mouth. (laughs) So, okay. I mean, that's really interesting. I just, I work with a lot of indie filmmakers and, you know, I write on my own and we're always like, how the, how, how are we going to get people to see this? And I've done features where they've just like put it on Amazon Prime because you can just kind of this like ongoing battle where, and you guys know this, but like there are no answers and there is no, there is no like set route to follow for how you're supposed to get anywhere at all and I mean yes we all do love what we do but part of the challenge is like do we even know what's right and I think it's just sound advice to be like just kind of like follow whatever feels good and the idea of looking at distributors I think is brilliant get the festivals I mean not I mean do what feels right but like looking at that as an avenue to explore as well yeah yeah Amanda that's really well said I mean we um Unlike maybe some independent filmmakers, we we don't rely upon festivals for sales. So we're covered regardless. Again, I'd be remiss if I didn't say that, yes, it's a feather in our cap. It adds credibility and marketing and and all of that. But we go where the water's warm, right? Life's too short. The reason that we're able to turn these things out is, first and foremost, our friendship and the way that we Mm -hmm. complement one another. But secondarily, uh, we're not precious about a lot. As long as we make what we're proud of, 
Where it goes um, is a little less important. Now, of course, it can be a little frustrating these days with the with the business model being just so askew and bizarre. Thanks, it's I think, exclusively or predominantly to the streamers, right? I mean, um, right. you know, the vast majority of what you see on Netflix is unwatchable. <laughs> I mean, those mm-hmm. original clips are unwatchable. So, yeah. and whatever feeds the algorithm. So John and I, we fancy ourselves on being a bit of a throwback, right? Where we, we make these things that are unapologetic and that you don't really see a lot of people make, if anyone anymore, and wherever they find a home, festival-wise, distribution-wise, and audience-wise, we, we don't know when we make it. But then again, I think as with any art, right? I mean, you're not making it for someone else, or I don't th- I don't think that's that's what's meant to be the case. Right. It's we do what right. we want. Well, the filmmakers that make a lot of the Netflix films are <laughs> just making. Okay. And 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 those are those are reverse engineered. Oh, yeah. we need a mm-hmm. we need some young adult content. It needs to ha- it needs to to check these boxes. It needs to hit these beats. Right. John and I right. proud to say we've done everything independently. No distributor has had has had any involvement editorially or creatively in any way beyond maybe the trailer and the artwork, which is also kind of a bit of a pet peeve. We create our own everything, and then more often than mm-hmm. not, it skews more genre when it comes to especially the video on demand marketing for the clickbait. It's a good problem to have when you have more resources and higher budgets where you go, okay, well, listen, you know, now, now we're telling you what's up, meeting the studio. And, and, and that'd be great. We crossed that bridge, but it's been really cathartic and it's, it's fed the spite resentment, right? Where we're like, you know what we're doing, our <laughs> thing. get on board or not. It uh, doesn't really matter to yeah. us. Yeah. Yep. Well, and I think if anything, like if anybody took anything away from 2020, it's that there are no fucking rules. I just wish I knew who to greet. You know, like stuff could shut down at any time, you know, so you might as well do what feels good. Amen. Life is short. A whole new perspective, right? The time and yeah. how fleeting it all is. But yeah, we um, festival programmers. I mean, we, you know, we, we don't know. But also also let's let's remember. I mean, we're doing a lot of festivals that. There's, it, they're very incestuous, right? There's a lot of overlap. In other words, you, you have come to my neighborhood. Are you kidding me? There you yeah. Go. So you have you have one high-profile programmer, right, who sits on several selection committees at several festivals. Right. So, so it's no coincidence why you see why he or she or they or whomever will uh, will play the same film in multiple festivals. And also there are businesses as well. These festivals, right? Not to be the conspiracy theorist, but there are major corporate sponsors and also governments involved, you know, especially totally. overseas, right? The the country stands behind the festival and partially subsidizes it. So so you have a lot of that at play. And and these these festival programmers and 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 heads, they're they're often politicians, right? These are people who they have to kiss the ring. They have to say, all right, well, we, we need to make sure that we're representing this certain delegation, this like like the uh, award shows as well. So you you have to make sure that you have a well balanced program, right? It's not mm-hmm. it's not based upon merit necessarily. And frankly, you know some of the most high profile festivals, those films, I mean, that virtually none of them are commercial successes. I mean, you get you get caught up in the in the sauce, like oh you made a big sale and oh it's this and that, but then what becomes of it? Are these are right. these fan favorites? Are these uh, largely not? And a lot of it's just for optics, marketing wise. So. Right. No, don't get me wrong. You know, if, I don't want to be hypocritical. If John and I were the toast of Khan or something, or Can, however you want to pronounce it, then I'd probably be singing a different tune. But uh, <laughs> well, you know, 10 films in. Yeah. I say, who do you grease? I, mean, you, I just you, want to know, who do I have to hit off? 
Just get my shit. That's what I need. A resource. I don't care that the whole thing's rigged. I just want to know who do I have to pay who's rigging it. If it could be who, done, it would have been done already. So. From. <laughs> yeah. Who do I get the feather from to put in my hat? Like, who's the Yankee Doodle Dandy around here? Who's the oh, senator oh, who killed the hooker I, that I, I could pull a favor from? Oh, yeah. John knows. I mean, some of the most hysterical roundabout ways about me asking what it would take to whomever. Um, oh, yeah. If it's becoming a sponsor, if it's throwing a big event, you know, uh, without straight up saying, where do I deliver the duffel bag full of cash? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> where can we find your other films? Run with the Hunted, you can find on Showtime. Showtime. Uh, Body Brokers, you can find on HBO Max. Ida Red, you can find on Showtime. Candyland. Amazon, Vudu, Apple, pretty much anywhere you can rent a movie. And then uh, Little Dixie will be out next week, and it'll be just the same as Candyland. You'll be able to find it anywhere uh, you, you rent your fare. This was great, guys. Thank you so much for coming on. I really love the film, and I, I'm totally in the bag for anything else you guys put out. Thanks, so, man. Thank I really so appreciate much. it, Frank. Yeah, thank you, Amanda. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for the letting world me sit that, in. Thank you both. This was a lot of fun. Clyde, do you fucking call me back? <laughs> Woo! <laughs>